This is Driven by Data, the podcast. Welcome back to another episode of Driven by Data, the podcast, season two, powered by our vision group and hosted by me, Kyle Winterbottom. We're delighted to bring you another season of Driven by Data, the podcast, which boasts even more data analytics and AI thought leaders from across the globe. Our aim remains the same to uncover how some of the most prominent leaders within the data analytics community tackle our industry's most trending topics, told in order to share knowledge, ideas, and experience, and just as in season one, to give back to the global data and analytics community. So sit back, relax, and enjoy this episode. Welcome to Driven by Data, the podcast, season two. Today, I'm delighted to be joined by Prachi Priya, who is the Chief Data and Analytics Officer at Team One. So Prachi, thank you very much for joining us. My pleasure to join. Very excited to be here. Good. And you're, you're California-based, so an early start for you. So we appreciate your uh, your attendance even more. So thank you for that. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so where we always start, Prachi, is by asking our guests to give themselves, I guess, a, a brief introduction into their background and, and journey to date, if uh, if you'd be so kind. Yeah. Um, so I, I've had a professional journey of about 18 years now, and it started back in 2004 when I started as a strategic planner for FCB. I consider myself a boomerang to data and analytics, uh, which is still considered a highly technical field. I'm trained in uh, technology with a computer science undergrad degree, then fell out of love from especially the tech and coding part of it in early uh, part of my education. Uh, Then came the time when I became extremely fascinated by consumer behavior, as in why do consumers behave certain way, motivated to buy certain products, so the why behind the buy, um, and also the economics behind all of this. So I went ahead and did my MBA in marketing and then worked on both the agency and business side uh, with multiple global advertising agencies like Wonderman Thompson, Ogilvy, and also companies like United Healthcare and Lifetime Fitness. While doing that and having fun, a lot of fun, I realized that all the foundation of all decision-making and also better outcomes is data and analytics which determines and helps connect our relationship with the consumers. So then I pivoted back to data and analytics, and that's where I have been for almost my entire career, uh, which is at the intersection of a marketing customer journey with a very deep focus on data and analytics. Um, In my current role, I'm a team one, uh, hired as their first ever chief data officer. And I've been what they call um, pandemic hire, I did my entire interviewing process via numerous Zoom calls. Actually, didn't meet anyone uh, until a couple months into the job. And I would say it has been an absolutely tremendous experience so far. Um, Joined Team One with two objectives to ensure that our clients keep data at the center of their business transformation models. And number two, to inspire our agency's ideas and work through data intelligence and insights. Yeah. Nice, nice. 
So there's something that you said there that really piqued my interest, and that was right at the start when you said data analytics is still seen very much as a technical field, and that made you fall out of love with it. Now, absolutely preaching to the choir here, Pratchett, because I bang on about this stuff all the time, and, and that's not to say that technology isn't important and it doesn't have its place, but I think there's a massive, you know, huge overemphasis on the technology component within data analytics in terms of getting value out of the other side of that. So I'm keen to kind of jump into that as we go through the podcast in terms of what that kind of journey and transition has been like for you. I guess before we do that, tell us a little bit about Team One, the business, what you, what you, you know, the, the business does and who you do it for, et cetera. Yeah. Team One um, is a fully integrated media, digital, and communications agency, and we are headquartered in uh, LA, Los Angeles. Um, our single purpose, or I will say the overall mission, is to help brand build relationships of worth with a new generation of affluent customers. So our clients, um, are, one of the biggest clients is Lexus, and, uh, and we have also a few bunch of other clients. Uh, we are also part of the bigger publicist group which is one of the oldest and largest marketing and communication companies in the world yeah. by revenue in headquartered in Paris. Uh, and I would say, add that the best part of working here at Team One is to work like in a startup where you can build your capabilities in an agile way and then also have this opportunity to tap into this larger network of publicist group where we have fantastic resources when needed. So it's kind of like a win-win situation. Yeah, yeah, we we see that quite a lot in the work we do in our day to day life, right? When you have like subsidiaries or smaller brands of a of a bigger group company, you kind of get the the feel and the the journey of that startup, and it's really exciting. But you know, you've got the backing and the infrastructure of a huge global business, which is um, always an interesting place to be. So, talk us through kind of what your day to day looks like as the you know the the cdo or cdao should i say of, of team one and, and kind of what's been the what, what are you tasked with achieving you mentioned these two key things right but kind of give us a bit more detail around that if you could yeah absolutely um so as an executive leader at team one i would say one of my key responsibilities is to empower businesses by providing thought leadership on the importance and power of data uh, enable our clients' buy-in, and how data can be leveraged to drive and accelerate business performance and outcomes. Uh, important portion of that is to always act as the glue between the business uh, and the data team. And by business, I mean the creative, media, strategy, all of those teams and connected to the data team and providing very rigorous oversight of the work that data team is doing while also skillfully managing the expectations of the stakeholders who are dependent on that work. If I can use um, kitchen analogy, data is kind of like the raw ingredients to what we're making and producing. And if it's not of premium quality, or if we do not have enough of it in the kitchen, and if you don't have enough tools in the kitchen, then it slows down the product development. In our case, it could be the creative or an actual data product or it also slows down the new items that we can make and create and we'll have dissatisfied customers. And talking about a little bit about the technology aspect of it, we're looking at data and analytics and combining that with marketing technology to create actions and experiences for our customers. 
So the role of data and analytics just is that helping everyone use data as the foundation at the core of what we do, just to create that unique experiences to connect our customers. Yeah, absolutely. I think the the role of the chief data and now, you know, chief data analytics officer has kind of been on quite a journey, even over the last five years, right? We've seen kind of multiple iterations of what that role should look like, now does look like, where the focus should be, etc. Um in terms of you know the the evolution of analytics as, as a whole and now that being kind of tacked on to the CDO job title, how has that mm-hmm. kind of evolution of maturity affected the, the role of the CD now, you know, AO? Yeah, I, I would I would say that the role of a chief data officer has really evolved over time. We have seen uh, how the inundation of data, uh, the abundance of cloud computing that has been as a strategic source of insights using data that has naturally produced this new CDO role. And I was looking at history and the first ever CDO was appointed as early as what, 2002 at Capital One. And I'll always remember her name and thank her forever for creating this role, Catherine Clay Doss. Um, And their main role and duties at the time was a blend of IT and data, which included supply chain, market analysis, and so on and so forth. And fast forward to now, where we have a lot more CDOs. Um, Recent data from Vantage said that uh, 68 to 70 percent of firms have a CDO now. And this explosion of data, guess we produce, what, 250 billion terabytes every day. That has made our CDO role very critical for any organization. But that role has changed because technology has evolved, Uh, marketing, social media has evolved, all of those aspects has evolved. So now the role of CDO has gone from defensive, where they dealt with compliance, cybersecurity, and risk-related concerns, to actually being offensive by utilizing data to drive business outcomes and lead that digital transformation, from stewarding and protecting data to actually monetizing the data. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. It's certainly been interesting to watch from the outside looking in, because I guess, you know, at one point in time you had, you know, the the CDO, which was very governance compliant risk focused, right, Mm -hmm. which was all about regulation and the defensive, as as you said. Um, But, you know, fast forward to the present day and even things like, you know, the topics around data management, data governance, they're Mm -hmm. no longer talked about in the aspect of, defense right it's always about how do you use that as an enabler to do better analytics for offensive purposes which is really fascinating and kind of ties perfectly into to what you said there i think now would be a good time to take you back to what you said at the start around falling out of love with the technical piece because you're absolutely right you know the, the technical component to this has advanced at such a pace it's it's mm-hmm. changed the role of this of the cdao um because of the things that we can now do, our technology can now do for us, right? Um, but as you've touched upon plenty of times, and there's you know a million and one debates every single day on platforms like LinkedIn, we all know that the purpose of the role is to drive business value and outcomes just by using data. It's not necessarily about building the best platform or product or dashboard or model or insert any technical concept in there, right? So um, just talk me through your experience and I guess your thoughts around coming from a technical background, falling out of love with it, going down the marketing route and now being back in a sphere where technology plays such a vital part, but 
you know, not having or, you know, not necessarily focusing purely on the technology? Yeah, I I definitely would say that um, technology is a huge enabler for us uh, advancing in data and analytics. It has to go hand in hand, Um, but you don't have to be a completely technical expert in every single tool that you see in the market. There are so many roles and responsibilities that are emerging in data and analytics field. So you can be a data scientist. If you love coding, you can get into that field. But if you are someone who loves to take insights from data, then there are roles of a data analyst where you can use tools where you don't have to code, but then you can use your um, brain power to find those insights that would help us drive that better business outcomes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I put something on LinkedIn just the other day about this, and we're starting to see some organizations really take this to the next level, right? Where they're purposely going out and quite, um, you know, being intentionally different with how they build that team. Of course, they need technical experts to deliver on the technical initiatives, but, you know, there's all kinds of weird and wacky job titles out there now, right? You know, the the data journalist, um, the data storyteller, the translator, the the data business analyst, et cetera. So I think the diversity of skills and experience within that team are making businesses a lot more rounded. And that from, you know, my point of view seems to be allowing people to get to the point of realizing value quicker than it has been in previous times. I don't know if you think that's a fair assessment. Yep, that is absolutely fair assessment. The diversity of skills uh, is very important. There's a place for all kind of skills in the data and analytics. So traditionally, it has been viewed as a highly technical field. It does have components of technical knowledge, but then there are elements where you can still touch data and don't have to be highly technical. Yeah, absolutely. So we've, we've spoken quite a lot already about the advancements and, and I guess the the speed of how, how you know market tools, technologies, trends are kind of advancing all the time. How, how do you, as a CDAO, and an executive within a business, how do you adapt to that kind of ever constant changing environment? Because it's changing at such a pace. How, how do you kind of keep up with that and adapt to kind of what comes next? Yeah, that's a million dollar question, Kyle. <laughs> <laughs> and I would say I live by this quote by Mahatma Gandhi. He said, live as if you were to die tomorrow, learn as if you were to live forever. And I can claim that I'm a lifelong learner. Um, I'm drawn to positions that have some ambiguity and gets me out of my comfort zone. And this data and analytics field, there's a lot of uncomfortable uh, aspect to it and that never a dull moment. And that has helped me grow in that willingness to be uncomfortable that leads to growth. And I consider all of these moments of uncertainty that we see now as moments of growth and also, this challenges us to further innovate. And I can give you an example right now. I'm sure you have heard about uh, GDPR, CCPA initially, and now the hottest topic in the market is the death of third-party cookies. Yeah. Uh, my approach is how do we think outside the box and perhaps build a new product? Um, Google is planning to end third-party cookies by 2023. Uh, Apple has also announced blocking third-party cookies. And we know we won't, as marketers, we won't be able to um, build the audience as effectively as we did before. 
But then there are solutions. Uh, there are several emerging solutions to solve this problem. Usage of first party data. How do we make sure that we are on point of that, contextual that? And we have also built a solution to tackle this uh, while also taking utmost care in keeping our consumer privacy intact. So flexible that way. The possibilities are, are endless. And I'm also learning continuously about new technology. Uh, one thing that I'm trying to dig deeper into and how do we create an effective measurement strategy and uh, developing a learning framework for metaverse marketing. Can we show that it is uh, producing business outcome? Can we link it to that? Mm. So yeah. Every day is a learning period. Yeah, I think that's the million dollar question across most businesses with regards to data and analytics, right? You know, how do, how do you effectively link it back to some kind of tangible output that has driven the business forward? And that's, you know, I think everyone appreciates that's a lot easier said than done, but there are there are ways to, to do that. I'm a kind of big believer, Prachi, that people, you know, as I said, there's this big debate in the industry about technology and, you know, data isn't IT and all of that type of stuff. But I'm a massive believer that anyone that, from a data leadership perspective, anyone that comes from a technical background is certainly not going to be worse off. You know, in fact, that's a really, really good background to have. But I think what we find in the industry is that often those types of people struggle to make it up to the leadership realms because of maybe some of the, you know, in quotes, softer skills that come with being a translator, a storyteller, an influencer, all of that type of stuff. Now, obviously, I know that you went and got an MBA and went down the marketing route, et cetera, which would have helped massively, I, I, I presume, but keen just to hear your journey about that and any advice that you might have for people. Cause I think there's a lot of people that will come from a technical background that are, that are great at all the technical components are probably good at leading and managing technical teams and are looking for that step into a CDAO type role but, you know, maybe held back by some of the, again, in quotation marks, softer skills. Just tell us a bit about your journey with that. Is that something that's come naturally to you or is that something you've worked on? And if so, how have you managed to do that? Yeah, um, I would say it has not come naturally to me. Initially, the CDO role, like you said, has evolved. And to be successful, the skills that you need to be a CDO has also kind of evolved. Uh, so you need to have technical knowledge, absolutely, but you also need to have business acumen and understand the strategy and direction of the business. And of course, with a focus on how to support that with data, you need to be a strong change agent and a strong communicator that both of those aspects are equally important. And as you might imagine, the communication is a big part of my job, uh, constantly meeting with executives to help convey what we do as a team and the need to stay on the, on the right path is critical. So I, I would say whoever is aspiring to be a CDO needs to have a combination of skills and always, always focus on how data is connected to the business outcomes rather than data, just data as a product. That link is so important. Yeah, no, that's um, really, really solid advice, which brings us very nicely into the the bit around kind of, you know, building slash enabling uh, a data culture within an organization. Cause I think, you know, the, the, the research and the stats out there, you know, it's all very much geared towards the reason why 
business leaders think they didn't haven't got as much value out of this as they expected is because of you know culture is one of the things normally cited near the top of of that list and i guess now that's that kind of the building and you know enabling of that data culture has almost fell onto the cdao to build that environment for the business and, and their team to prosper right so how do you define data culture? Because this seems to be another one of those things that people struggle to actually put a you know tangible pinpoint kind of you know dot in the map of this is what data culture is. Yeah, there are multiple definitions of data culture, but I would say it's connected to how you define a culture. So I would define data culture as a workplace environment where we employ a consistent approach to decision making through both definite and experimental data proof. And I'm adding both because we we deal with both, right? Sometimes you know everything about, say for example, customers, but then there's, if you don't, there are ways you can know by experimentation, testing and learning. And in simple terms, I would say that in the data culture, uh, decisions are made based on data evidence, not on a gut instincts. Uh, it doesn't matter who is talking or what tone they are using. What matters is whether they argue sense given the data yeah yeah makes perfect sense and this I'm, I'm kind of flying off track a little bit here perhaps but keen to get your thoughts on this do you think obviously you know throughout your career and it's been a been a long and illustrious career today and you work with some major brands which means you'll be speaking with you know business leaders from some of the biggest companies in the world quite literally right um do you think broadly and generally speaking that the appetite is there for most business leaders to put data at the center of their decision-making process now, or do you still think we're kind of edging our way towards that kind of point? I would, I would say that the appetite has been there. Um, the usage of data has varied based on the company, based on their uh, analytics maturity model, uh, data has been used in different capacity, but like we, we are talking about, data culture plays a, such a big important role in uh, kind of implementing that. And I was yeah. reading again one uh, Vantage research, uh, only about 26% of firms said that they have been successful in building a data culture within their firms. And the biggest barrier is mostly people and process as a challenge. So that's why I would say that data literacy is so important for everyone uh, and important. This is one of the most important component of enabling a data culture. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So I guess the talk us through how you're going about doing that then. Obviously, very high level. We don't want you to give all away, you, you know, your, your trade secrets and, and things like that. But I guess what are the key components of a data culture? Yeah, yeah. Um, I would say the three main components would be first would be data search and discovery. How do we, what are the processes and tools that are needed to find relevant data just in time as, it, as we try to make decisions? So data democratization, that's a tongue twister, is the term that we use now. Open access to data, it helps people to believe in it and come up with solutions that don't require exactly an expert data scientist. And when people trust data, they begin to change their behavior. So that's one of the most important components. The second, I would say, is data literacy, like we talked about. Uh, does the team understand how to correctly interpret and analyze data to draw those logical conclusions? And the last uh, component is data governance, which has always been a part of uh, data culture. 
ensuring that data is appropriately managed so that the teams are using it in the right ways. Yeah. How do you, that final component, there's been so much talk in our industry about that and the language we use around how we try to position that back to the business, right? Because I guess the, 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 the broad level debate is that data governance, unfortunately, is not sexy right you know it's like the 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 technology piece sells whereas the data governance piece is kind of it's always been this thing that business leaders have just kind of thought we have to do it's a tick in the box type of thing right how have you managed to put that front and 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 center Mm -hmm. yeah it it all links back to how how do you actually execute your data culture how do you put all the components in place there are multiple facets of that I would say the first and foremost, which here at Team One, we did it, the right placement of the CDO in the organization. As a CDO, we need definitely need strong technology partners. However, the CDO function, that should be not be placed directly into technology office. It should rather originate from where the business's data priorities come from. As a CDO, you, know, you take on the persona of the place where your position is centered. And by having a CDO as part of the executive team, it sets the visibility and focus in the organization from C-suite down. And I would definitely say it is uh, the commitment and active sponsorship, not just the support. Because you can say I support analytics and data, but you don't allow autonomy to allow experimentation to use data. So that's why at T1, I report directly into the CEO, and that has immensely helped me to drive projects, um, build data products, and get faster buy-ins and deliver business outcomes. Another part I would say is analytics is a two-step process. First one, obviously, is number one, to define the problem. And the number two is to solve the problem. And if we can set up the first part as responsibility of everyone, uh, all partnerships of creative, strategist, technology, then you can have that common ground with the analytics people and everyone else. And that's when you create knowledge. So the strong partnership, collaboration, synergy with other teams is also extremely important to make sure that all the components of our data culture, including data governance, is bought in and actually people believe in it. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. I guess the reporting line and structure of a data office within an organization is a really interesting and I guess, again, another highly debated topic, right, about where it should sit and the benefits or the cons of if it's not sat directly to the the CEO or maybe the COO, and if it reports through technology or marketing, it's uh, it's always been it's always fascinated me that because I've always felt that if you report to another C-suite leader, naturally your the bulk of your work surely becomes focused in that arena only, right? And obviously, as we all know, the the whole point that organisations are doing this, even the ones that don't know it yet, it's supposed to be an enterprise-wide initiative, right? To help them be a better business, not help them have better technology within the business or help them have better marketing in the business. So it sounds like that's played a real pivotal role in, in your success to, you know, having that appetite to be reporting directly into the CEO has helped you to get buy-in, get, you know, active support and all of that type of stuff. Mm-hmm. And I would also add, uh, and I think we alluded to the fact that data storytelling, those skills are extremely crucial now. It's no longer enough for us as data leaders to just cleanse and model data. And we're going back to those uh, skill sets that we need to be successful. Mm. Um, we all would have to learn to use the results to be a very compelling narrative that inspires action and 
in from the teams and clients. And kind of, we need to take them on a journey with storytelling because the greatest algorithm is of no use if you're not clear what is the problem you're solving. So I believe that one of the roles uh, we are seeing, uh, we are starting to see will be the data translators and storytellers who can act as a bridge between analytics and other departments. Because great storytelling, we've seen, builds better business outcomes. Yeah, absolutely. How how are you going about doing that at Team One? Is that what, you know, are you and your team just building that into the process? Or, uh, you know, is there being kind of a an official communications channel and strategy? Yeah, I, I would say that we are doing that by hiring or building the right team and also upskilling our people uh, with training on how do you tell stories with data. We do a lot of workshop um, and we actually promote a lot of different things that has enabled the data storytelling skills and other skills, software skills, like we said, kind of like a blend of understanding the business as well as having the analytics appetite. We, there's a lot of encouragement to use data, experiment with data by bringing it into everyday action, uh, receive training on how to use the tools at hand to access data. And then the most important one in my mind, how do you foster critical thinking, where we create an environment that would promote questioning biases and display a healthy degree of skepticism and encourage critical thinking and curiosity. Those are so important to have in a team now, especially on data and analytics team. Yeah. Are you are you then doing the same for the clients that you work with or are you encouraging them to do that yourself? Because I guess it's all well and good you building this, you know, for, for you as a business internally. But then I guess there's, you know, the work that lands with your clients, you know, potentially has the risk of falling short if, you know, that's not being embedded into, you know, if the data culture isn't embedded within their business. Yeah, we uh, work very closely with our clients on any data and analytics projects. And I would say it's, it's kind of like a partnership. Uh, so yes, uh, the building the right skills is a um, broader team uh, aspect we are taken care of. Yeah, yeah, makes um, makes perfect sense. So obviously you've, you've defined that data culture for us then. You've given us quite a lot of insight into how that should be made up and the things to think about. How do you go about actually then executing on that because i think if if you ask me one of the biggest one of the biggest differences i see with certain you know groups of data leaders the ones that are really successful and often make it to the top of that tree and kind of pick up those big cdao type roles are the ones that execute you know if there's one thing it's normally execution that that differs you know that kind of separates them how do you execute on embedding and enabling that culture to kind of grow and flourish within the business yeah, um, absolutely. Like you said, there's definitely a lot of hype uh, on data <laughs> and analytics execution and how do we use DNA, data and analytics as an accelerator. Not, it's a challenge. It's not easy. This, and the challenge is a combination of the talent, um, difficulty to prove the value of analytics, or how do you actually use uh, data and analytics as a sustainable competitive advantage? So I would say all three of them uh, I would say what we have done, overcome that, all of the challenges, and we're trying, it's never the end, that by a plan. Uh, the plan is to have quick wins and long-term gains. Both are extremely important. Um, we have had a plan that has quick wins so that we can bring credibility, uh, and but also have a long-term plan that allows us to plan if you're going, if you're going to invest in building our own capability or buying it 
or going into that direction. So big strategic decision are part of long-term plans, long-term plan, but we also have planned, we also had planned for equipments to build that credibility. Mm, yeah, yeah. You spoke quite heavily earlier about data literacy, you know, being the almost the fuel behind data democratization and enabling that culture and say, you know, building the trust and getting the buy-in, et cetera, et cetera. I think this is a topic that many data leaders I don't want to say struggle with, but have concerns over because there's so much talk about data literacy in the industry and you know how it's imperative to any successful data and analytics program or initiative. It's one thing talking about these things. It's another thing, again, executing on actually how you deliver something to the business that provides valuable that then moves the needle, if that makes sense. Have you got any kind of hints or tips around how you've managed to, to do that within Team One? Yeah, I, I, what we have done is one of the tips that I can give you is access to data in the hands of non-data and analytics folks in the team and training them on how to use it. Like, for example, we have created a lot of dashboards. You can imagine we have a lot of Tableau dashboards. What we have done is we have given access to of that to other teams other than my team, and we have trained them in using those dashboards. So we've given the power of data to actual uh, users. And that has helped um, data, I would say, uh, people's acceptance because we are kind of democratizing the data and also kind of training them. So that has gone up and how to use data, how to create a story using data, why, how do you derive insights from it? So all have helped us drive uh, the data literacy such an undervalued investment right now in data space. And the more we spend on this, the better is the adoption. Yeah, absolutely. Have you have you come up against any challenges in terms of kind of user adoption or getting the buy-in from the user? Because I think that's, you know, we're getting better at having that conversation for sure. But one thing that I, you know, if you re, if you rewound 12 months, very, you know, it was very much a case of, you know, you had this kind of spike in data academies, right? And, and at one point in time, a data academy was designed and, and kind of built to really hire junior data people and put them through a program that would upskill them. Then that kind of changed to, hang on, the business needs to be more data literate here. So we need to provide something back to the business. But obviously the starting point was often the, the exec team because they had the money and they made the decisions, right? So, but the, the gap in the middle was that, the people that needed to use the data more effectively, more efficiently day to day, they kind of got left to last. And it's only just now that we seem to be having this focus on getting them into the, the journey, so to speak. And naturally, there's a bit of resistance there, right, around, you know, adoption and buy-in from that select group of people. Have you come up against anything with that? And, and if so, kind of what have you done to combat it? Yeah, I, I would give two uh, tips that has helped us combat that uh, buy-in from teams, from uh, executive teams and from others as well. First one is uh, plain language. In, so I, one of my biggest role is to advocate in C-suite and others, not just C-suite, other uh, people in the company, to be able to explain in plain language means to have a new data platform or a tool or a dashboard to actually come to life and make an impact in the organization because otherwise it's just techno babble and they don't understand it. So layperson focused explanation 
uh, that has helped us a lot to get that buy-in. So that's the first one. My second one is uh, business case. We have built a lot of business case with details on how this particular investment will lead to actual positive outcomes. And we have numbers on that or positive outcome results, incremental outcome that we'll get out of it. And that has helped us get the buy-in from finance and other teams as well. Yeah. And, I, and I'll also add a bit, something about the culture at Team One. It has been an absolutely fantastic culture of collaboration that I've seen in the past year. And rather than tensions, passive aggressive, it's, it has been a, a culture of collaboration and partnerships. So when there are legitimate questions that we need to solve and we have to solve through data and analytics, our culture actually supports that. And there we bring in different roles and people at the seat who help answer these questions uh, and clarity of leadership intent that can be supported and clarified. Yeah. So you, the, the I guess the point you were talking about there, that's really interesting, actually. I've not thought about that too much before, but you started to make me think there, Prachi, is you know, data culture in its entirety, of course, needs to sit within the business. But um, I guess we need to be thinking about this type of thing when we're hiring, not in our data team, but in our business as a whole, right? You know, are these people interested or bought into the idea that, you know, data is the tool of the future effectively, right? You know, so bringing the right people into the right seats within the business that, it, it, just from a user perspective, yeah, yeah. That's something I've not not thought about before, which is uh, really intriguing. I think the the what's in it for me piece is really really interesting and really fascinating because that phrase has been around for many years now, right? Um, and we've probably, in my opinion, been guilty of you know as data professionals going to the users saying, "Look, the reason why we're doing this is." X, Y, and Z, you know, it increases revenue by X or it decreases cost by Y or it improves a process in Z, whatever the case may be. And whilst I think most people in general obviously want the business to do well because it's where they work and they want it to be successful, actually, I'm not too sure whether those things are massive drivers for them on a personal level, right? What they kind of want to know is, well, that's all great. Yeah. But how does it help me do my job on a daily basis? How does it make, you know, allow me to get an hour back on a Monday morning or, you know, whatever the, how, how does it allow me to not have to pull together a report manually on a Sunday night or whatever the case may be, right? Has there been a big focus on that from you and your team? Yeah, absolutely. Like I said, we don't want just techno babble to explain to people what, what is in it for them. So yes, that has definitely been uh, a focus for us and our team. And I would say that's where the data as a product, the innovation comes in. Uh, can your team build something as a product? Can you offer data as a product where non-users of data can go in and easily find something? So for example, our strategist can go in a tool and build a customer profile using the data. Uh, but they don't need to touch any kind of database or write a SQL query. They can just pull in attributes and build a customer profile based on the industry they're looking at and whatnot. So that helps them come uh, to insights in a very uh, quick way. Yeah. So that's that's what they, when we talk about the tool, we talk about the benefits or what's in it for them. Yeah. The, the, the product way of thinking slash working, in my opinion, has been 
there's been a huge move forward because I think there's a lot of those frictions from an adoption perspective by the users. I don't know whether it's just a, you know, a, a marketing thing that we're able to sell it better because it's a product and it feels like something now they've got tangible that they're supposed to use as opposed to just saying, here's some data or here's a dashboard or here's a graph or whatever the case may be. But we, we host a lot of data analytics um, roundtable, you know, thought leadership events. And, and the last two that we had in the UK um, across both London and Manchester, one of the topics was around data as a product or a data product and the differences. And what was really fascinating to me was that even data leaders in the same room, depending upon the type of business they worked for or the sector or the scale of the business, they couldn't agree on what a data product was, which was really fascinating. But what you've just described there is exactly how I'd think about a data product, right? It's someone in the business who can go in and use it for themselves and can it kind of be used and used and used and used and they, you know, it doesn't need to be updated or refreshed. You know, of course, it's like the product lifecycle in terms of maintenance and, and upgrades and new features maybe, you know, over time. But um, yeah, uh, have you seen, what's been that benefit in terms of the product? Has there been, has it been kind of a big shift in terms of how it's worked for you in kind of a previous life? Yeah, uh, it has enabled a data culture that trust has increased, hmm. uh, the adoption of using data has increased. When you make it easy for non-data folks to use data, it definitely helps bring the data culture. Yeah, yeah, no, that makes, uh, makes perfect sense. So I guess really prominent thing to, that I want to finish on, Prachi, um, conscious of time, but Kind of diversity and inclusion is a huge topic. And, you know, we spoke earlier about diversity from a skills and experience and background perspective in terms of forming teams. But I guess in the more traditional sense, it's obviously it's on the agenda of every boardroom right now in the world, right? And I think the, the benefits to most are startlingly obvious about, you know, why businesses should have a diverse and inclusive workforce um obviously i know that you were part of our event that we ran on diversity not too too long ago virtual events but just give us give us a bit of insight into your journey because as everyone knows there's not too many female cdaos to start with so it'd be good to hear your thoughts on that and then i'd love to get your thoughts on how that kind of ties into you know data and analytics as an industry and then the kind of prominence in terms of helping to build a data culture, if you could. Absolutely. That has been one of my top priorities is to bring in more diversity and gender balance in data and analytics team. And like you said, I've seen so many surveys to understand the right stats that is today. And uh, based off of that, there's only about 15 to 22% of all professionals in data and analytics that are women. And I'm not even talking about leadership roles. I'm pretty sure that is even lower. And I have had my share of interesting experiences of being women and that it's of color in a male-dominated industry, uh, sometimes dismissed for being a woman, sometimes dismissed for being a person of color. So I absolutely believe it's very important to bring that diversity into our team. And that's not just to bring representation, but also to drive innovation and bring different perspectives in. With the increasing usage of AI and machine learning, seeing that it has become very, very important to collect the right data, 
ask the right question in the data collection process, including uh, questions by women, uh, and to reduce the gender gap and to make the algorithms work better. Because we all know garbage in, garbage out. So misinformed algorithms not only has negative impact on the whole DEI aspect of it, negative impact on women, but also businesses and economies. So I'm a part of um, various organizations just because I'm very passionate about this cause uh, and I want to drive change. I'm a board member at Agents in Advertising, where our goal is to grow an inclusive community by connecting agents in the advertising industry. I have gone to the grassroots level and I mentor high school girls, I mentor uh, diverse students and for inspiring them to choose a career in data. And I think that's where the real change will happen at that high school level. Yeah. There's, and, and again, you know, a lot of our experience, so we work heavily as a business across Europe and across the, the USA. And I think, you know, the stats are, are fairly similar everywhere in the world, I, I imagine. But um, what fascinates me is I do a lot of public speaking at universities to try and raise the profile of data. So, for example, we have a partnership with a, with a major university here in the UK where it's their social sciences faculty, right? So naturally what you get is a very heavily female populated degree subject. But part of this program is that they do kind of quantitative analysis um, and get kind of almost like an additional um, certification or whatever, if you want to call it, call it that. Um, so these people have the fundamental skills to enter our industry in an industry where we're talent short, right? And what, what just blows my mind is that I'll stand there and I'll be talking to them about, you know, all these companies around the world that are doing these great things with data and why they're doing it. And they have no clue that this is an industry that exists. And it just blows my mind, which, you know, so kudos to you for getting in at the grassroots because that's what needs to be done. Like by the time I've got to a university, I'm too late. Right. And so is everyone else that gets there at the level. So kudos to, to you for kind of, you know, getting in earlier because that's exactly what needs to be done. If anyone of, you know, a diverse makeup is, doesn't know that the industry exists, then how on earth are we expecting anything to, to change really? You know? Absolutely. And I tried, because I have a lot of collaborations with the universities in the area that I am in LA. And I tried that first. Uh, how do we get that? But again, like you're saying, if we, People don't know what a career in data and analytics mean. It, this is also a cool field to be in. It's not geeky or dorky. Yeah. Then you have to go to that grassroots levels. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and I think, you know, you touched on representation earlier. I still think many organizations have a lot of work to do in the remit of diversity inclusion because for many, they think that by going and bringing someone into the business of a different gender or a different skin color or religion or ethnicity or whatever the case may be, that that's job done. Um, and it's not right. That's just representation. If you're just doing it to tick a box and therefore, you know, the, the stats moved 1% up or down, that's, that's, that's not enough. Right. So yeah. How, how do we tackle that? Do you think? How do we tackle moving just, the stats up? Yeah, I guess, taking businesses on this journey to understand that this is this is more than representation because many businesses think you know diversity and inclusion in their minds is it, it translates to representation in our minds right they, they just think if they've got another woman in the team that helps them and that makes them look better and therefore you know they are now diverse which is not true because they wouldn't have been in that position to start with right yeah 
that, that's a very good question. And I have been thinking about it a lot. And I, I would say whichever business you are in, if you can somehow build a business case or show or prove that building a diverse team has resulted into better business outcomes and maybe add a stats to it, add a percentage to it on how it has become better by having a diverse team, I think that will help. Or the opposite, how not having a diverse team has affected your business outcomes. Both of them would work in my mind. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, taking it back to to the to the roots of data and proving the value, right? So, perfect. Well, look, Pratchy, we we could probably speak for hours about this subject, but um, conscious of your time, I know you need to kickstart your day on on the west coast. So, um, look, I'm going to leave it there. But thank you so much for coming on the show. It's been an absolute pleasure speaking with you. And um, look, we uh, look forward to seeing how your journey unfolds. Thank you so much, Kyle, for having me here. Loved, yeah. loved talking about my favorite topics. No problem. All right. We'll speak to you soon, Pratchy. Thanks a lot. Bye-bye. That's it for this episode of Driven by Data, the podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. I'll be back next week speaking with another thought leader from the world of data and analytics. Until then, please follow Orbition Group on social media if you've not already done so, where you'll be able to subscribe and therefore be made aware of the podcasts as they arrive. And please share like and leave reviews so that more people from our industry get to hear and benefit from these two. If you've got any questions or you want to suggest ideas for topics or potential guests, then please feel free to reach out to me. Thanks for listening and I'll be back next week.